I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. to the Mad Max Minute, where it's never good to drive in a big rig's blind spot in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 99, which begins with the Razor Cola speeding up between the war rig and the People Eater's limo, and it ends with Furiosa pulling the knife from her side. Wrapping up the week with us, bloodied and bruised, but still standing, are Doug Greenberg and Jason Haynes from the Rocky Minute Podcast. Yes, Whoa. we made it oh. back. Hi. Thank you. Yeah, like you're sitting right in front of me. You couldn't be like, you talk first, you can work yeah, something we got, out. We're, <laughs> we're so good at this. That's you're, why Rick and I podcast facing each other. Yeah. We are too. We are facing each other. <laughs> we're it not, doesn't, uh, doesn't usually matter. works for us. <laughs> I don't like to look at Jay. But it was like you, like we, we know when we're going to be able to talk. Like we should have worked, like look, just glanced up. Like I was no. looking at my computer, you look at your computer, we just both start talking at the same time. Yeah, it was... <laughs> Terrible. Anyway, hello everybody. Nice, nice to be back. Thank you for having us again. Welcome, welcome to your show. <laughs> Good to have you back on this Friday, wrapping up the week with us. Now, Jason, because you haven't yes. watched the entirety of this movie, I was throwing out a lot of terms there, including Razor Cola and People Eaters Limo. Do you want to venture guess at what I was talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> Razor Cola? Razor Cola? Yeah. That's... Wasn't there a rumor years ago people were putting razor blades in Coca-Cola cans so we can drink them? You, no? Okay. Probably. Yeah, I sure hope not. <laughs> was, How would that even be? Halloween candy, right? People put razor blades in Halloween candy? I mean, I'm familiar with Halloween candy. Speaking of Halloween... That's from like when we were kids. <laughs> speaking of Halloween, Halloween was yesterday. Yep. And uh, the day before that was my birthday. What? And we did a half hour show and no one once said happy birthday, mentioned my birthday, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> It was like it didn't even exist. So back to the movie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Those terms, I have no idea. I'm just kidding, Jay. I got you a present. Ooh. <laughs> Empty hands. <laughs> You're welcome. Empty hands, full heart. That's correct. So here at the top of the minute, we see the RPM meter surging and Furiosa gets a little bit of good news there, but almost immediately surging up between mm. the war rig and the other big vehicle on the right is the People Eaters Limo. It is basically a rolling refinery, and it is not so much driven so much as commanded by one of the leaders of Joe's group of thugs. This guy is the People Eater who runs Gastown. And right up between them is what is called the Razor Cola, and it is the retrofitted and renovated, you could say, V8 interceptor that Max started out the movie with. At the very beginning of the movie, he was attacked by the Warboys, they took his car away, and they turned it into this monstrosity. And the Warboy behind the wheel of this car, as Furiosa turns to look at him, is a Warboy named Slit, who is Nux's Lancer. He looks in at second seven exactly like a young Christopher Lloyd. Okay, I totally oh see that. Oh my gosh, I see it! <laughs> That's amazing. Like where I thought it was him. <laughs> Is that, Christopher Lloyd's in this? 
This guy is frightening looking. Yeah. Like, this is... So is Christopher Lloyd. If I, like, wow, that is frightening. Yeah. And it is frightening that he has returned because he is relentless in his attack upon Furiosa. He has a personal grudge against both Max and Nux, and this is his third time attacking throughout the movie, and he will not die. Yet. (laughs) Yet. And he has got his arm extended and his finger is pointing squarely at Max, and it's great because Slit has a vendetta against Max because... Max was just a blood bag. He was strapped to the front of a pursuit vehicle and Slit was going to cut his head off and do all of this awesome stuff. And Max was the one that got away. And Max was also the one that made him look foolish because Slit was on one of those pursuit vehicles that was going after the war rig. And the Vuvolini working together with Furiosa and the wives, they were able to defeat him. So now he's back and he's all by himself because he's going to take this guy down all by himself and it's great because max is hanging upside down and he sees this guy speeding towards him and the expression on max's face to make a superhero reference it kind of reminds me of infinity war because slits like you embarrassed me you took everything from me and then max is like dude i got no idea who you are (laughs) 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 we're a couple mounts out from uh, infinity war so so if you haven't seen it yet to him, Max like is, is his nemesis, but Max has no idea who he, what, There is no bigger degradation than that. Yep. This um, scene right here, though, is a little sidebar here. Like, my wife could never watch this movie because, I, you know, I always, when I get on the turnpike, I drive between the two tankers uh-huh. like, like this. <laughs> and it's like her biggest fear in the world when I do that. It's Every time I do it, she's like, stop home. it. She's like, why are you going through there? If she ever saw this, I, I would never be able to do that again. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Because <laughs> in her mind, this is exactly this, what happened. This entire See, scene this is like is a, why. This is why. <laughs> this entire scene is like a trip down the New Jersey Turnpike in rush hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But anyway, th- this guy is frightening. He has the um, I'm get uh, slit has something to do with these scars coming from his mouth. I'm pretty sure that's where his nickname comes from. The fact that his face is all slit up, all funky looking. And I think when we were very first talking about him. We supposed that, well, we supposed a couple things, but one of them was that it might be self-inflicted because he's mm. crazy. But then I think someone in the listener group had read somewhere some supporting material that it was related to his cancer. Mm-hmm. Oh. Don't feel bad for him. He's a bad person. Yeah. Oh. yeah. People with cancer uh. can still be jerks. Nobody deserves yeah. cancer. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> Even you <laughs> slip. At no point does he repent. There are other reasons that he deserves to die. Yeah. <laughs> so his aggression is Max. He's going after Max. Mm-hmm. Or, or he's going after, right? Correct? Yes. And I think he also doesn't know that that Nux is right next to Max. So if he knew that, he would be even more pointing was, his finger. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that was going to be my question was, does he know at this point that, that Nux is helping Max? Yeah. He knows yes, that he this does. His buddy. His buddy. Yeah. Nux is Slit's buddy? Yeah, and he he turned and is now helping Max and Furiosa. Because when Slit first was in this chase, he was basically neck and neck with the war rig, and he saw Nux on the war rig helping out Furiosa, and he was like, ah, traitor! Mm -hmm. Type Mm -hmm. of thing. So he can't see Nux right now because Nux is still hiding in the engine. Fair enough. A question I had about the war boys is that 
a lot of them have like the black circles around their eyes, but this guy, all of his forehead is painted black. Is that a sign of rank or any significance that you know of? We always attributed it to his job. Like Slit's designation on a pursuit vehicle is that of a lancer. And so he's outside the vehicle with these exploding javelins and he's out in the sunlight and the elements. And so we figured that he painted his eyes and forehead as a way of glare reduction. Hmm, okay. And decoration. And they decoration. Are, the war boys are decorative. They're very symbolic. Yeah. They're very religious is a strong word. The religion that they follow is a cult, so they're very cultish yeah. and very into it. So they are decorative. But I <laughs> okay. think the black does also serve a purpose. Yeah, if if he's supposed to be outside the car as for a, a glare reduction, then that's that's a very real world answer. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so seeing Max hanging from the side of the war rig in such a vulnerable position, he tries to ram him and Furiosa thinking quickly swerves to the left and clips the front of that car with her wheels and that knocks him over into the people eaters limo and what follows is essentially like a little pinball game Mm -hmm. where this car is bouncing back and forth and it's going under the wheels and over the wheels and getting crunched underneath tankers and it gets thrown up by the wheels and rolled over onto its side and the whole time slit is inside this thing trying to regain control and he essentially gets crushed between these two tankers. It's what Jason's wife is exactly convinced mm-hmm. <laughs> what would happen, that the two tankers would merge together, he'd get flipped up on his side, and then mm-hmm. explode. Yep. But it's okay as long as you cry out Valhalla before you die. Right. The first part of that stunt, when he's just bouncing between the two trucks, I mean, do you know how fast these cars were going when these stunts are performed? Like, in reality? Not as fast as they look. Yeah, I'm And sure. some of the stunts are actually performed while they're not moving at all. And dust flying up and wind and whatnot is CG'd in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... This whole part is amazing. Yeah. The, the car, when it's bouncing around, if you pause around second 21, you can see that there is someone in that car. And so there is a stunt person letting that car get mashed around. But when you actually see it roll up on its side, if you're watching the shot around second 22 that goes up to second 23, you can't see a driver in that shot. So there's a possibility that that car is empty in that one. They cut to slit constantly trying to remind you that he's in there. But... After second 23, you don't see that car in such a way that you can see inside of it. Right. So it's just a matter of towing the car along and then crushing it between your other larger vehicles. You don't necessarily have to sacrifice a stuntman. It's like that game Twisted Metal. (laughs) Exactly. I think the people who made Twisted Metal saw Mad Max and were like, I want to make a game of that. Yeah. I I love that. I I wouldn't be surprised in the least. (laughs) So he's, yep. he's more than happy to, to die here. Oh, yeah. He's been trying to die in glory the whole time. Yeah. It's like the number one thing that the war boys want to do is have a glorious death in service of a Morton Joe so that they can go to Valhalla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely something, Jason, that you missed out on is the whole Viking afterlife aspect of these war boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just looking well, at me. Oh, okay. That they, they have a, a, a chant before they die. 
because they think that they're going to go to some glorious afterlife. Okay. Like, all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jay's not sure. Right I, I, I'm, 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 <laughs> hmm. Yeah. That's all right. Hey. It's, a, it's this whole thing. Yeah. It's a big thing. It's a bit. <laughs> okay. I believe that. The main thing about Slit trying to take out Max is that as the Razor Cola explodes, it sets a part of the People Eater's limo on fire. And mm-hmm. as I mentioned, the People Eater's limo is a rolling refinery, and so you can probably imagine what's coming in several minutes. Glorious, glorious explosion. Yeah. Right around second 34, you can see that there are flames shooting out the side of this tanker as it draws closer to Max, because the People Eater has noticed that there's a dude hanging off the side of the rig, and so he's going to close in so they can try and do what Slit was trying to do. Does the People Eater, in fact, eat people? I think we had that same question last week. I think so, and we decided it was metaphorical. Yeah. Ah, okay. I would think so. You never know with this weird-ass franchise. That's very true. <laughs> that is very true. Like, I wouldn't put it past him, I think was the general consensus. That there's no confirmation, yes, but it's also very believable. Plausible. Not confirmed. Hey everyone, it's Rick in the editing booth. Shem Herman, former guest of the show, shared with me a piece of concept art drawn by Peter Pound back in 2002 that confirms that the People Eater does actually eat people. And as a related factoid, his favorite part of a person to eat is their brain. So not only does he have this weird elephant man industrialist look to him, but apparently he's also part Hannibal Lecter. So that's pretty cool. I learned that, now you have to know it, so we're all in this together. Anyway, back to the show. Do you think that if you squeeze that nose, it squeaks? Oh, I would love that. Little clown nose. Like, it just looks like metal. It's not actually metal, it just looks like metal, it's actually rubber. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think that is the best description of the nose that we have gotten so far this movie. Why are people like some people wearing masks, some not, some like is it just whatever they whatever their character whatever they want to do? Like well, they provided uh, me a real world answer for the black forehead, so I'm sure there's something for this too. <laughs> the organization of the bad guys. They all work for Joe essentially, but there are three towns. There is the Citadel, Gastown, and the Bullet Farm. And the three different towns kind of have their own motifs going. Mm -hmm. If you see anybody who is decked out in bullets, they're from the bullet farm. Okay. So this guy driving his car is like wearing a full like headgear here. Like why are, I don't get. I think the ones with like the full head stuff going on are from Gastown. Yeah. Gastown has a lot of guys decked out fully head to toe in black. Because those are the flamers. Those are the guys that like to use flamethrowers and things like that. So oh you God. could assume so that the clothing that they're wearing is fire retardant. Okay. Makes sense. The polecats, they all look like members of the band Slipknot. Mm-hmm. Because they're out there swinging around and they want to look intimidating. The war boys obviously painted up like skeletons. Since they have their whole half-life thing that they're on about. Whole half life thing that they're on about. They're dying. Oh, yeah, like they all have various cancers that are irradiated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just you know, at this point, 
it's their thing. It's, it's their it's, it's their it's their shtick. It's their thing. We can we can joke and minimize about their shortened <laughs> lifespan due to debilitating cancers that grow in their bodies. You know, oh, fun but stuff. They're bad guys, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thankful that in this minute, when we see the people eater right around second thirty and thirty one and thirty two, that we don't have to look at the fact that his outfit has little holes cut out over his nipples. And I know that me bringing it up negates the fact that we don't have to look at it. <laughs> we but just even really so. want to tell Jason about the fact that oh, yeah. he's got pierced nipples from which hang chains, and he's got this little counting machine. Like the coin counter at the arcade? Exactly. Ooh. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Or like the ice cream man always wore one. Yeah. yeah. He's also got like an elephant man foot. So oh, who, there's that too. Guy? Yeah. How do you know his pure nipples? He's... I guess in our earlier Because scene? there is a scene earlier in the movie where he is standing around rubbing his nipples. Well, no, just one. His just thinking one. nipple. Just one at a time. One at a time. <laughs> While strategy is going on around yep. him, he's just rubbing his thinking nipple. Yeah. <laughs> his thinking nipple. I must he's, have missed that part. He's got an accounting <laughs> nipple and a thinking nipple. Oh. And he only rubs one at a time, depending on what he's doing. That's what we've observed over the course of this movie, because we're breaking it down so minutely. That's incredible. <laughs> Gosh. You know, I, I do like the idea that in this movie that there's three factions that have something that the others need. And it's like a big uh, barter and trade system. Mm -hmm. Well, I would think in a post-apocalyptic mm -hmm. world, like if that were to happen here, that that's how it would work. Like you would... You know, people that would survive were people that have kind of stockpiled some kind of resource, and then other people would have other resources, and you would you would work, you know, that way, where you'd barter and trade for resources. Mm -hmm. well, Which is anyway. very primitive. That's how humanity started out. If society's going to fall apart and we have to rebuild it, why do it in any other way than the successful way we've done it before? Mm -hmm. With starting out... With the basics. Yeah, bullets... Uh, well, I guess if you live in a violent wasteland, bullets would be a necessity. But you would think, you know, food, water, plants. Yep, yeah. and that's you what know, the that Citadel kind of provides. Yeah, that's why Immortan Joe gets to stay at the top of the totem pole, because where Joe lives, where we're all mm -hmm. racing to, the Citadel, that's where the clear water is, that's where the food grows. Like, most essential of the needs. This is exactly. the second time one of you mentioned the Citadel. What, what is the Citadel? The home base. So the Citadel is three giant spires that come up out of the wasteland and there is a gigantic aquifer underneath them. And so these spires have the ability to draw that water up from the aquifer and it's pretty much the only access point for that resource in the area because Joe has made sure to shut down every other access point. And so he's the one that has access to the clean water. He's the one that's able to grow crops and he will take that water and that food and he'll put it in these war rigs like Furiosa's driving and she will go to Gastown. She will go to the bullet farm and deliver the food to these guys in exchange for bullets, in exchange for fuel okay. so that the three of them can work together to just rule the wasteland because they have all of the necessary resources to do so. If Rango taught me anything is if you control the water, you control everything. Who told you that? Rango? Who's Rango? The Johnny Rango. Depp lizard. <laughs> you never saw Rango? You have a kid. You never saw Rango? No. <laughs> it might be a little edgy for your, you know, Pixar family. 
Jason, have you ever watched a Happy Feet movie? No, I, I don't watch Happy. My my wife loves Happy Feet. So, I don't watch Happy we, Feet. We watched Happy Feet. What span of? It was after the first movie. After the first movie, that's yeah. when we watched Happy Feet. Yeah, I had mixed feelings about it. No, you didn't. Well, okay. As a pair of hosts, we had mixed feelings about it. Okay, that you is liked accurate. it. I didn't. That's what I meant. Yes. <laughs> I just, I kind of got the idea that every company that was trying to do a computer animated cartoon was like piggybacking off of the Pixar, who's like, you know, the original, the godfathers of computer animation. So I was like, all right, nice try, Happy Feet. Nice try, Shrek. Shrek, as I say. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, Dream, DreamWorks. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't know. Some, some of the other ones I actually got to like tremendously. I will say, and I've said this since the beginning, that visually speaking, Happy Feet looks gorgeous. The landscapes and the general visual design of the movie is amazing. Mm -hmm. The story and the way that some of those characters are portrayed, I found very taxing. (laughs) (laughs) But visually speaking, it was a gorgeous movie. Hmm. Well, I but, guess uh, you guys got a hiatus uh, episode to yeah. analyze Happy Feet. Yeah, we got we got a good hiatus episode out of it. That's the important thing. Nah, <laughs> I've never seen it. Okay. Thank you for your input. It's not a bad one to plop the kids down in front of. Not too mm. terrible. Now, mm. speaking of plopping down, mm, emerging out of the engine compartment is Nux. He has this handy strap that he's got wrapped around his torso otherwise he's just hanging from the bottom of the rig there and he sees that max is hanging there upside down and with the people eaters limo coming up quickly nux gets an idea and he shouts out to max oi so he looks at him and he delivers a sharp kick to max's shoulder which flings max upward towards the people eaters limo out of furiosa's grasp and he's able to just spider cling to the front of the people eaters limo (laughs) in another one of those one in a million shots and then pulls a another whatever that guy is right out of the driver's seat through the sunroof by his his shoulders (laughs) (laughs) yep with an arrow through his hand oh like, he just pulled this guy out like, like he was a, a rag doll. <laughs> I friggin' love this. Because Max, he's hanging off the front there. Before he even gets to the driver, he pops his head up over the hood. Just sort of like a, hello, sort of thing. And then he immediately yeah. ducks back down because there's a, I'm assuming, flamer. Because he's dressed head to toe in black with an automatic rifle. And he is just peppering the front of that vehicle with gunfire, trying to pin Max down. But what he doesn't see are the two Vuvalini up on the tanker. You've got Melita and Joy over there, and they take this guy at the turret out completely. Joy shoots the faceplate off, and then Melita puts a shot right through the middle of the gunner's head, Hmm. which gives Max more than enough of an opening to get over the hood. I wondered, going back to Nux real quick, uh, when he pokes his head, because he's been under the truck for like at least the three minutes that we have. Mm -hmm. When he pokes his head out, he's when he sees Max hanging there, I wonder if he was like, if there was a second of him going, what What did I miss? <laughs> yeah. I like to think so. Oh, that reminds me. Earlier on in this movie, this is back when Max first met the wives in Furiosa. He had to climb out of the rig and go take care of 
the brakes that were in the back of the tanker. And when he got back to the rig, Nux, who was still pretty much a bad guy at that point, was in the rig attacking Furiosa. And so Max gets back to the window of the rig and he gives this look to Furiosa like, I was gone two seconds. Now everything is going crazy. <laughs> I imagine that Nux would have had a similar expression to that. Right. I leave for two seconds. Max is hanging off the side of the truck. There was an explosion. There's fire <laughs> shooting out of the um, limo. This was similar to um, the other day I was home with my three-year-old. I had to go take the garbage out, and I left them alone in the house for 30 seconds, and I came back, and it looked very similar to this. <laughs> Something's hanging out of the window. <laughs> Something's on fire. <laughs> fire shooting Something out of the oven. Something was definitely on fire. <laughs> so Max is able to scramble up over the hood of the People Eater's limo, and what he does is this little leap thing and then punches down hitting the driver and then after he delivers that first punch he starts climbing in the moonroof and i love how he sticks his leg into the car and he's using the people eater as a step stool <laughs> yeah that's a good move and he reaches down and he grabs the driver by the shoulder and he just lifts him up out of the car flips him over the side and that guy is gone that makes it slightly more believable if he's got because if you're just using your upper body to, to crouch down and pull him out, no. But if he steps in there to kind of use some leverage uh, mm. with, with some lower body um, power, mm -hmm. using uh, the people eater. I almost called them purple people. Using the people <laughs> eater <laughs> as a step, then yeah, I mean, that's not mm. buy it. No, Jay doesn't buy it. Mm. Not a fan of this move, Jason? Uh yeah, but this is what I did. This is this is like what we do as people, like especially in, this, in an environment like this where we're breaking movies down. Is we we look at this. I look at this one thing, and and of all the things that are happening right now, I'm looking like there's no way he could pull them out. So that's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the, but but the kick to, to spin him onto the front of the truck. But the funny thing was that when he kicked him and spun him around to the truck, yeah. I didn't even I that. For some reason, I just looked. I didn't. That didn't phase me. You're like, okay I just, with that. I just moved on from that. But now I'm like, there's no way you can pull him out of this room. Get out of here. So it's like <laughs> I pick, you're picking and choosing, like uh, of just a whole bunch of ridiculousness. <laughs> it's like something ridiculous. But <laughs> if you overlook oh, <laughs> ten things and you find one little, I just doing all this with the arrow sticking through his hand is yeah. seems agonizing. Yeah, he's doing a pretty good job of ignoring it for the sake of survival. What I love about this pull the guy out of the limo, toss him aside move, is that we've seen Max do this exact thing before. Once again, going back to Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, in the final chase of that movie, Max is pulled off of a train truck thing, and he's pretty much hopping from vehicle to vehicle, and he finds himself sitting on top of this car covered in cowhide. Don't ask, it's a long story. <laughs> and he leans forward, punches down onto the driver's head and he's wearing this ridiculous cowboy hat and he knocks the guy out and then reaches down, pulls him up out of the car and tosses him aside. And that's essentially mm -hmm. the same move that he's doing here. It's his signature move. Yeah. I guess so. I like that we're pulling from the repertoire <laughs> <laughs> that Max has already showcased. I, I think this move is so ridiculous, and the fact that Doug just like defended a little bit, like, well, if he's got some leverage in the, in the car, like, I, I almost like I have two cars outside with sunroofs. I almost want to go outside, and I want you to pull me through the sunroof of the car. See, see, you can't do it. Okay, 
<laughs> and, and okay, I'm, I'm a little heavier, so like I'll put my wife in the car. I want to see you go upstairs and pull Carolina through the sunroof of our car. Well, that's the thing about the People Eaters limo. It's not that it's a moonroof or a sunroof or whatever you want to call it. It's that there's no roof. All right. <laughs> it's a huge hole. And so Max has a bit more maneuvering room than Doug might have reaching down right, through a moonroof. Let's roof. go rip the roof off your car <laughs> and we'll do this. Peel it back like a sardine can. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm willing to look at Max with one boot on the people eater using all of those muscle groups, his arms, his legs, his back, to be able to pull this guy out of the driver's seat. And he doesn't look like that big of a dude. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's not. He does look pretty small. I find it semi-believable. I do think that the ease with which he does it is suspect. I think if he had, I don't know, struggled a little or grunted or something to show that this was hard, because it was, I think I would be happier with the move. I don't know. I feel like Tom Hardy's grunted a lot in this movie. Yeah, so why stop now? <laughs> okay, good point. <laughs> but I just feel like even though the guy who gets pulled out is not a very big guy, I just feel like you can defend this. Mm-hmm. Like, he has all the advantage in the world right now. Like, I feel like he could have stopped this. From, he could have stopped this from being thrown, pulled through the roof of the car and thrown off the side of it. Like, it would have been very easy. Like, if you just put some resistance, you could have pulled Max into the vehicle with you with ease. Yeah. If he had been wearing a seatbelt. A seatbelt also would have helped, but I imagine seatbelts aren't very popular right now. He gave in this way time. Too yeah, so whatever. But no, it's it doesn't doesn't change. Does this guy yell Valhalla? Maybe he was just all too happy to uh, to go overboard. Yeah, he might be tired of driving the people eater around and having to constantly sit and watch this guy rubbing on his exposed nipples. <laughs> oh, <if laughs> oh, I you, see one of the nipples. Yeah, if you pause a second 54, you can yeah. see one of the nipples. That's exactly oh, where I'm paused. Yeah, go. with the chain. Go. Oh, that's Where am I going? 53. I'm at 53 right now. Do I even want to press this? When he tries to push 54. Max's foot off his shoulder. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. All right. The nipple. <laughs> oh yeah, my god. Why is there a hole in his shirt for the, for the chains? So he can rub it. Ease of access. Oh my god. Oh man. <laughs> Um, so when Max goes to kick him in the face, imagine he catches that oh, nipple oh anchor dear. and rips it out. Mm. Julia just I'm cringing, cringe so yes. hard at that suggestion. I- <laughs> oh dear me! <laughs> and I love how Max just delivers such a vicious kick to the people eater's face. He's there, he's trying to fight him off, and he's just this roly poly bureaucrat type, and he just gets boof right yeah. in the face. Almost like he, you know, he's he's just so unimportant. He just just gives him a kick, and then it's back to business. He mm-hmm. doesn't even care that the guy's sitting next to him when he jumps in the driver's seat. He's just going to business. Mm-hmm. And Max slips right down behind that steering wheel, just as natural as it can be. Yeah. He's returning to his natural state of being a driver, which is arguably what Max is best at. There's a very interesting little cut here too, right at the end of this Max scene. He looks like he reaches underneath the dashboard for something, a control maybe, or a stick. Yeah, he does. And right at that moment, she's pulling the knife out of her side. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if Max is pulling, is reaching and pulling the knife out. Oh, I like that. The way the yeah, cut is. Yeah, I noticed that. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. Nice cut. I have no earthly idea what Max is reaching for, and I don't think it really even matters. I think mm-hmm. he does that purely to set up this cut. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's one of those things that happens a lot in this movie. 
as you're looking at Max in the People Eater's limo, you're watching the natural line of his body, and he leans forward to grab something underneath the dashboard, and you see the natural line of his body kind of drift towards the center of the frame, and as he starts pulling back, that line pushes back towards the right side of the frame, and as we cut to Furiosa, her arm is following the natural line of Max's body, so that we're already looking at that part of the frame when she pulls that knife out. That's great editing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it wasn't done, if it wasn't filmed specifically to look that way, it was edited perfectly then. That sort of guided viewing is a hallmark of George Miller's. Hmm. He takes care of his viewers. You're looking at exactly what you're supposed to be looking at. Yep. He doesn't want you to have to be constantly searching the frame for the important subject that you should be looking at. Mm -hmm. Which makes it easy to watch. Exactly. When you have... 50, 60 cuts in a minute because you're in an action scene. You want to make it as easy as possible to follow. Mm -hmm. Viewing these three minutes about 10 times each in preparation (laughs) for this. (laughs) At first, it was very cluttered. But once I was able to slow it down and understand what's happening, it it became very more clear, a lot more clear. Yeah. So the last thing we see this minute is Furiosa pulling the knife from her side and Having never been stabbed myself, I'm sure that having a foreign body lodged in your flesh is not something that feels good. Mm -hmm. I imagine that there's a bit of relief when you pull that out, but then there is also the added danger that once you pull that foreign body out, you've created a cavity for you to start bleeding out completely. Well, I myself, I used to be on a first aid squad. I did a lot of medical training. And now my current job, I do a lot of, we do medical training here and there. And the number one thing is you're not supposed to take those things out. You're supposed to leave it in because mm-hmm. you do more damage. You could do it, also do a lot of damage when you pull it out that yeah. you didn't do on the way in. More cutting. Plus, right? And then you're, you're opening up a hole to bleed. But when it's lodged inside you, you're also not supposed to be threshing around a lot. <laughs> also. You're not supposed to be yeah. holding people up and driving. So that, and right. which, <laughs> What she should have done instead of taking out, she should have found herself a nice, uh, styrofoam or plastic cup, mm-hmm. cover the end of it, tape it up nice, and keep it in place and get herself to an emergency room. <laughs> <laughs> like, done and done. <laughs> Safely pull over to the side of the road. Right. Pull out your yes. cell phone, call 911. Yes. Kindly ask everybody to stop fighting. <laughs> guys, guys, can we can we just stop for a moment? I've been I stabbed. <laughs> Does anyone have a cup? <laughs> And some tea. <laughs> a McDonald's soda cup will work just fine. Is there any advantage to her wound that it is kind of in between the leather belts that she has around her torso that are still in place? Like that there's some at there's least pressure. some pressure. pressure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tight, tight enough. Up, sure. Probably. Yeah. If she could find there, something to put in. underneath those straps, it would probably be even better. Yeah. Like some kind of gauze. Yeah. Like any gauze it's in sterile, the though. It's got to <laughs> yeah. be sterile. Come yeah. on. I mean, there's gauze sterile that's gauze. been worn by people for the last several days. I'm sure one of the wives could sacrifice one of their flowy shawl things that she could yeah. push down in there. Linen. Just blow the dust off in. You know, you're ready. Rocking and rolling. Just brush it a little bit. Get the <laughs> dust off. That's you it. Could, she could wash mm-hmm. it in sour mother's milk. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh. Wait, I have one parting question. When I was watching these three minutes, it just kept popping in my head. Was the um, Mad Max movies similar to this in regards to what the post-apocalyptic world looks like and whatnot? Oh, yes and no. Yeah. The main thing that the first couple of Mad Max movies lacked is budget. Mm -hmm. 
So you still had a lot of really imaginative looking vehicles that were souped up and put on lift kits and had crazy body modifications, but you didn't quite have (laughs) the modern ability to spend a ton of money on fabrication. That being said, because there was no budget and the technology wasn't really there at the time in the early 80s, all the effects were practical. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there were similar explosions and truck chases and people crawling all over trucks, stabbing each other and fighting. Those were all present in the previous movies, but they didn't have the effects to soup them up the way we see in Fury Road. Mm -hmm. But they still look amazing. They also didn't have any color grading, so everything looks very washed out Mm -hmm. because they're using film in the 80s mm-hmm. <laughs> in the desert right yeah. they look a lot better than the italian knockoffs that came afterwards but yeah still look a little grady at times mad maximo <laughs> <laughs> it also has the same feel as a like book of eli had mm-hmm. like they seem they're very similar i don't know so i never saw, I never saw book of eli? have you ever seen it book of eli is on our watch list okay yeah oh my god it's is they, it because the I'm the only they, one that's seen it? <laughs> tell us. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's post-apocalyptic. It's post-apocalyptic. Not is it Denzel Washington? Denzel Washington. Yes. Yeah. And he is walking the land. He has the book. He has the Bible, and he's trying to get it to. There's a place which is actually Alcatraz, where they're they're storing all the books, and they're trying to restart a civilization through there. And they need a copy of the Bible, and he has a copy of the Bible, so he's trying to bring it to them. Ooh. And then there's like. He encounters a bunch of different problems. One is that there's just these bands of of um, hooligans that just are roaming the wasteland, like taking resources from people, like stealing what they have. So he's got to fight them off as he goes. And also then he, he meets a guy who's trying to, he's like this Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman? Yeah. Gary Oldman has started up a whole other civilization and he has water, which is a very valuable resource, but he wants the Bible also. Mm. So he's, there's that interaction. But the the in-between scenes when Denzel's going from where he is to Gary Oldman's place, then to Alcatraz, are very much like this. Like the, the bands of, of nomads that are just roaming the earth, stealing to have similar vehicles, and they're dressed similarly, and they, mm. they're all act the same. It's, I got, it's the same kind of feel. I almost want to say this movie kind of seems like it borrowed some things from <laughs> Book of Eli. Okay. <laughs> But I'll let you watch it and you decide for yourself. I mean, I don't necessarily want to say who borrowed from who, because really, if there are things in this movie that look like they were borrowed from the Book of Eli, like how much of the Book of Eli was borrowed from Mad Max and how much did Mad Max borrow from other things that came before it, like Harlan Ellison's work, A Boy and His Dog. George Miller took inspiration from that book and then it was made into a movie that was just awful to watch. But that's beside the point. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I would like to think that most of what we consider to be post-apocalyptic style Mm -hmm. was made by Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. The stuff that we saw in that movie defined that genre. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'd like to believe. All right. And I think other people would agree with me. Well, the post-apocalyptic... I have so much trouble saying this, but I gotta slow it down when I get to it. The post-apocalyptic world that I'm seeing in these three minutes <laughs> is the same post-apocalyptic world in Book of Eli, so... Yeah. Okay. Right, okay. So, run out and see that if you haven't already. Don't take my word for it. 
<laughs> Jay had a ring endorsement for it, though, so. What? Book of Eli. I like Book of Eli, yeah. or as my wife calls it, the Book of Ellie. <laughs> and, and if you're wondering, we are from New Jersey, so we have the New York Giants are hereby, mm-hmm. and their quarterback is Eli Manning. Mm. Um, she also calls him Ellie. <laughs> In Poland, is E-L-I spelled, uh, pronounced Ellie? I don't know. She just, she calls, E-L-I is Ellie to her, so it's Ellie Manning and Book of Ellie. Okay. All right. I just just let it be at this point. That's a smart man. Well, here at the end of the week, I just want to say, Doug and Jason, it's been great having you. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you have any other ringing endorsements you'd like to share, maybe particularly related to the content that you create? Nope, just Book of Eli. Check it out. No, we uh, do our own show called Rocky Minute. It's the same type of thing as this, but totally different. Um, but uh, we break down the movie Rocky one minute at a time, just like you guys do with this movie. And, uh, you know, so if you want to hear that, if you like Rocky, like boxing, um, check it out. We also have a Facebook listeners group called Mighty Mix where we do a lot of talking about things. You don't even have to talk about Rocky. Talk about whatever you want. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about Mad Max, you come talk about Mad Max. Just join in. Just keep in mind, Rocky is very much pre-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. So, mm, yeah. Well. We have that to contend with. I mean, Philadelphia has some pretty rundown areas, but it's not that rundown. <laughs> Rocky oh, Five was pretty is. apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> As for us, we are going to be coming back on Monday when Max takes over the People Eater's limo, Immortan Joe tries to get past Max's human shield, and Furiosa uses that limo to put some distance between her and the Warboys. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 99 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. <laughs>